Welcome back all to What's True for Everybody. This is experience number 63, and we are continuing our series, Seeing God in a Pandemic. And this is a series where we interview a variety of different people, and we have a two-part conversation with them. One part is, how has this whole pandemic, uh, COVID deal affected your life, your work, your routine? How has this changed what you're up to on a daily basis? And the second part is, in the midst of all of that, uh, how are you seeing God? What's God up to in your life in the midst of it all? And so if, if you're just beginning to listen to this series, uh, go back several episodes because we've had, we've had a, a bunch of good ones. We've talked to a doctor. We've talked to a senior in high school the day before her prom was scheduled to happen. Uh, we've talked to a middle school teacher and we talked to a COVID-19 survivor who wasn't sure when she went to the hospital if she was saying bye to her family. So uh, check those out. And today we get to interview Pastor Steve Carter. And I could intro Steve for a long, long time. Uh, but the short version is he is a pastor and not just by title. That's just who he is. That's who he is as a person. Uh, He's been a, a youth pastor. He's been a teaching pastor. He's planted a, a campus uh, for a church. He, he's an author. His first book is called This Invitational Life. You should check that out. Uh, he's a podcast host. His podcast called Home Team, and it's with uh, Sam Ponder, NFL Countdown. Um, she's on NFL Countdown on ESPN, the host, and then uh, Sam Ocho, who a former Chicago Bear, so check that out as well. Steve Carter, uh, if I had to say one thing about him, I think the term would be the real deal. Uh, he, he is who he says he is. He is one-on-one uh, -on -one who he is when he's speaking to a few thousand people. Uh, I have much respect for this man, his family. Uh, they've been dear to us. The integrity of him, integrity is something Steve and I have talked about together for a long, long time, and, and he's got it. And so I met Steve, man, 2004 like 16 years ago. And at the time, Steve and my wife, Corey, were leading what I will call the best middle school ministry in the country. And I have not seen every middle school ministry in the country, but I'm just going to call that the best one. Um, Steve, some little known facts about Steve. He actually gave me my first teaching opportunity for a church. And it was a summer camp in uh, probably 2005, a middle school summer camp, uh, Steve was the first or second person to tell me I could be a pastor. Uh, I was sitting in his house. I don't remember why this conversation came up. It was either Steve was the first one to tell me that or a man named Bill Bird. I was a banker and a man named Bill Bird came into my office uh, several times and we just start talking about God and he told me I should be a pastor. So it was somewhere, somewhere uh, around that. One of them was the first, one of them was the second. Um, the most interesting thing, though, is Steve might be might have been the first person to know that Corey and I were dating. So <laughs> Corey was was the middle school uh, lead pastor, Steve teaching pastor, and I was a volunteer, and I had the the guts to ask Corey to date me, and so we were kind of keeping it under wraps at first. And uh, Steve knew, and that might have been about it for <laughs> for a while. Uh, Steve was my mom's pastor <laughs> most recently for I don't know six or seven years, whatever whatever that was. And so our paths have, have crossed on all these different, different levels. When Steve planted a campus in California, the, the opening night, um, I get woken up from a text from Steve who took a selfie with Grammy, with my, my grandma who, 
<laughs> went to see this opening in Southern California. And then in the last couple of years, Steve and I have, have reconnected in a couple different ways that we just never would have seen coming. And so Steve's been a dear friend. Steve Carter, that was a long intro. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Matt Boyle, a.k.a. Captain America. Oh, stop it. Uh, hey, I, I will say, you at the very beginning referred to this as episode 63. 63. 63. And you know what happened on April 20th, 1986. Come on, take a guess. 63. To Jordan? Come on, Ch Jordan. Larry Bird, the Celtics, oh, yeah. and they lose at the Garden. At the Garden, overtime, five overtime, one thirty-one, and that's when Larry Bird goes. Michael Jordan is God in basketball form. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, tribute to be here on episode sixty-three in honor of Chicago sports. Yes, yes. Okay, Steve Carter, uh, briefly tell us what you're up to these days. Um, brief, tell us why you do what you do. And then the two follow-up questions are, I know you've been watching The Last Dance with the Chicago Bulls, 1997-98 season. What's been your favorite moment so far in the four episodes that they've aired? Um, and then the second follow-up question, if you can remember all these, you were at game five of the, of the World Series in 2016. Cubs won three to two. Um, they were down three games to one. If they lose, the World Series is over. They win to take it back to Cleveland. A lot of people will say the Cubs won the World Series because um, maybe because Hayward hit not sorry not Hayward Fowler hit the leadoff home run in Game Seven or Zobrist and Montero had singles in the tenth inning Game Seven all very viable options. Um, I'm convinced still the Cubs won the World Series because of the fourth inning in Game Five when Bryant homers and Rizzo doubles and um, Ross I think has a sacrifice fly. Anyway, favorite moment from that game sitting in the stands. Um, go all right so why i do what i do then to the last dance and then to the cubs okay so for the last 20 some years uh i've been able and entrusted and given the privilege to um, speak into people's lives uh to kind of open up a an old ancient book filled with stories that um seemingly were inspired and yet still inspired to this day and i uh from a from a young age uh, people told me that i was a leader i should be a pastor and honestly i just kind of pushed it away i didn't think that that was possible um but then there came a moment in my life where i actually began to trust some of these mentors voices and the way that they saw me um more than i actually trusted myself mm. and it kind of kind of like goes back to even you know in the in the new testament a story of a uh, a man by the name of paul and timothy where um, timothy was known as like this timid timothy and I, I think i in many ways as a as a young um adolescent uh who is becoming a young <laughs> adult um who is becoming a young leader I think I had all that, that same kind of timidity, those feelings of inadequacies and uh, not good enough. And, um, and yet I had these people in my life like Hal or Dominic or Nathan or Rob and these voices who just said, uh, I see something in you. And 
Paul writes to Timothy to say, Hey, don't ever forget when all of us gathered around and we laid hands on you. Hmm. And it's like, he's like, we saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. And, and that's what it means to encourage, right? It, it, it really is when we see the, the image of God in another and we call it out and they don't even see it in themselves. And, and by us speaking that into existence, it gives that person the courage to maybe step out in faith that they can become what the others see them to be. And that's, that, I think that really deep down was my story is people saw something in me, saw the potential in me, called that out. And I think in many ways, I've just wanted to do that for other people. I wanted to call out the good, who God made them to be. So um, that comes in a handful of ways, walking with people, preaching, teaching, um, leadership. And I've been able to do that. Uh, I'm, I live in the desert. So we're in Phoenix, Arizona. And probably eight or nine months ago, I did something called a life plan and it's really where you kind of look at your entire life and you kind of map out like a mission and vision statement. And, and really, I found that there were these buckets that I think in many ways, I just feel that I seem to play the best in. And so that was around preaching and communication of the scriptures. Um, that is in writing and ideas um, and pastoring. That is in the coaching of communicators and then I've got this weird like connection with sports. And, and so that's where that home team podcast that you were mentioning with Acho and Ponder, that intersection of faith, sports, family, and culture. So I, my life has really just been kind of focused on these four buckets. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I, I speak at churches. Uh, COVID's obviously changed that, yeah. but I'm still doing that through video. I'm writing a couple books. Uh, coaching a number of communicators across the country and having fun talking sports. So that's a good segue to the next question. The last dance. There's been so many good moments, but let me tell you this. When COVID hit, I found Jason Heher's email address, who is the director of the last dance. Okay. And I wrote him and said, hey, we don't know each other. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, you have a chance to give all of humanity a gift. If you do this, I kid you not, it will be an absolute game changer for the world. Like literally, this is what I'm writing. Yeah. And I said, you are set to release The Last Dance in June of 2020. You've got to move it up to, the, to March or April. And he writes back like this, going <laughs> – Hey man, I would love for that to happen. You got to get, you got to let ESPN know. Tag ESPN, get ESPN on board. We'll do it. So I start writing ESPN and I start writing him. I'm just like, if you saw it on my Instagram stories, I was tagging he, her and tagging ESPN. And then all of a sudden, and I think not, not just like it was me, but I think there were thousands of people who were doing this. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it bumps up to April. And he writes, he's like, you did it, you know, like, and I just, so that's, that's been, that's been so amazing. But we have you to thank, we have you to thank for that. Thank, that's my one gift, <laughs> my one gift through humanity. Um, but I think there's been so many moments um, and, and it, and it's wild because I think that there are moments as a basketball player that I really, really appreciate that like have me, um, so deeply moved. For instance, 
Dennis Rodman. People, people have labeled this guy so many things, you know, freak show, da da da. You want to go down a hole. But if you watch last Sunday, he talked about getting into a gym and studying the science mm-hmm. of how a ball that is shot that has good rotation comes off the rim. And then he's like, and magic, which didn't really have much rotation, which is true, like comes off a rim. And he just kept hiring people to shoot. And he kept studying where it, from a basketball like player mindset, I had a buddy of mine who would like rebound for Kobe Bryant in Southern California. Kobe would text him at like, you know, two in the morning, be like, meet me at the gym. We're going to get shots up. And all he would do is rebound and pass. He wouldn't even talk to Kobe, just rebound, pass. And the fact that, that Rodman would hire someone to shoot so he could practice rebounding. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So I think there's, I think there's something like that. I, I, and again, it's just the, the, the vault of footage mm-hmm. and the backstory um, has just been so, so moving because that was my childhood. You know, I'm 40 years old. Um, you know, Jordan comes in 85. I'm six. But it's probably like as he starts to win, you know, black infrared sixes, you know, his first in 91, probably that bad boys, Lakers run, Celtics run, the 87s. That's like, that's when I started really getting into basketball Mm -hmm. and watching the bad boys and Jordan not being able to get through. Just so seeing that story, it was like all of this good mojo and memories came back. So yeah. that the last dance has just been special. Yeah. And then I think game five, um, I my, so my preaching professor at Hope International University um, is the biggest Cubs fan. Okay. And he wanted to go to the World Series. And because the Cubs were down 3-1, like you said, and had lost two at home, mm-hmm. basically nobody – tickets early on for game three at Wrigley. I mean, we talked about this. It, yeah. it was off the charts. Game five, because they didn't win any, they're like, this is over. People <laughs> were selling the tickets for like nothing. I preach a sermon, and a guy comes up to me and goes, I got one extra ticket. Now, I already had a ticket because – a whole bunch of us had bought into season tickets. Uh, And so it was my, I got game five. So I knew that. And now I got a free ticket. So I called my professor and he was already in Chicago watching, like just being around his family because he wanted to be around it. And I get him in. And so he goes, Eddie Vedder sings the seventh inning stretch. (laughs) I, I agree with you. I think when, when KB hits that home run in the mm-hmm. fourth, you could just feel something turned. And it was like, oh my, like you could just like, and I just remember, I just remember just the energy that came over that place going, is this going to happen? But I still think like Steve Bartman was in the air a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's not going to happen. But like you, you just, it was the glimmer. It was the glimpse. It was, uh, anything's possible which was yeah. really great yeah and it might have been the next pitch where Rizzo doubles off the wall off the wall yes right man I rewatched recently all seven games plus game six of the NLCS against the Dodgers and it, it's like the last dance it took me right back there and, and got me all pumped up uh all right that's awesome thank you um and by the way I think your Timothy 
story is interesting because one of the things I've noticed about you over the years is, is that's a couple, the Timothy letters are, the, are some of the letters, a couple of letters you're drawn to, it seems like over and over again, and you keep coming back to, and uh, that gives us a glimpse into, into why. So that's, I like it. Okay. So you, in the last couple of years, moved from, from pastoring in a church, teaching in a church, preaching in a church, at least one church consistently, to um, you're speaking all over the country, you know, on a weekly basis. You're getting on flights to Boston or to California or to Denver or to Indianapolis or to Houston. Um, you, you still now, now you, you've kind of, you moved in, you're still writing. You, you have the podcast with, with Sam Ponder and Sam Ocho, who I may have called Sam Ocho earlier. And that's my bad if I did that. Um, which that's, that stuff, it seems like you can still do. Um, as far as getting on a plane, cause that, that became like, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of your livelihood. Um, and you can't do that now and churches aren't meeting and, I know you're still doing some video stuff for some churches, but in all of this, how has you, Steve Carter, how has your life been, your routine been affected? Yes. Overnight, I think conferences, camps, weekend gatherings of churches, you know, just were canceled. Within 48 hours, Matt, I think $35,000 was just gone of 2020. And I had, I had, I had every weekend booked already in 2020. So, which, um, you know, 2019, I think I did 196,000 miles in the air. <laughs> so, so in some ways you're like, okay, great. Like I, I, uh, I don't have to travel cause that's yeah. great. Um, but you start asking the bigger livelihood questions, you know, because nobody saw this coming, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, so I think it created an, um, a whole bunch of feelings that started like kind of, um, I remember like when you were a kid and you'd be in the bathtub and you would try to get like the water, like going up and back, up <laughs> and back without like actually going over the, the tub. And getting on the floor so your parents yeah. screamed at you. My like, kids do that now. I, yeah, I just I feel like it just was going back and forth like ping pong of emotions of a little bit of like okay, there's security. Uh, oh no, what's this gonna be? And okay, I gotta start hustling. You know, like oh no, what am I gonna do? And oh no, I can't. Like, what's pastoring look like yeah. in this season? Like all of these different emotions. Like and the gift, the gift of having my kids here, the gift of like just leaving the office and then going to go on a hike or go jump in a pool, you know, like there was just, there was something where it was like the best of times and the worst of times Mm -hmm. and unsure of how long it was going to go for. And so um, I'm fortunate because, you know, last weekend I spoke in four churches (laughs) and didn't leave my house. So like I, it's four different messages. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of been this weird, like I've not had a weekend off. Even when I was on like vacation at a church, I don't know. Like I was still tuning in to make sure is, is everything. Okay. It was hard for me to literally like take a weekend off. Now it's like, I'm not traveling. I'm here. Um, and I'm getting to, 
really enjoy time with my, our kids. So it's, it's, it's been so different and so hard to find a, a regular routine and rhythm in, in spite of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, you're so pastoral and you love being around people. What's it been like for you? So you, um, the church that my family goes to, we're typically coming once a month ish to, to teach here in Northern Colorado. And there would, you know, you'd get to see the people you'd look them in the eyes as you're teaching to them. Um, there are people who come up to you to talk to you, give you a hug, ask you a question, whatever it is after the service. What's it like to not be able to do that? One of the things about preaching is at least like visibly you can see, are they looking at me? Are they slouched over? Are they sleeping? You can't do that when you're preaching into your phone. Um, what's that been like for you? And does that feel like a loss of you're looking at a, a camera instead of looking people in the eyes as you're teaching? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a big loss. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Talladega nights, you know, with Ricky Bobby when he's like being interviewed and, you know, Will Ferrell's character just like keeps raising. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I just don't know what to do with my hands. Like, uh, I think for many, many pastors, they're used to being in a room, mm-hmm. looking people in the eyes, putting a hand on someone's shoulder, praying for someone, giving them an encouraging word. Like they're, they're used to that. Now it's an entirely different medium. Mm-hmm. And you know, as, as many have said before, the medium's the message. And so there are some people who, who know how to speak to a camera. There's other people who actually know how to speak through a camera. Mm. And so that's, that's a, a skill that most, most people never learned. And now they're having to learn on the fly. Yeah. And I think that that's, there's been this sense of exhilaration in learning something new. Um, having to do it different. And there's the, this deep sadness of, Oh my goodness. Like I just, I miss, I miss people. I miss, miss the chance just to um, really sit with someone. And, you know, and so uh, it, it's been a lot of like zoom calls yeah. and, you know, the zoom fatigue is real. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, FaceTimed, uh, you know, a couple and that we just adore last night and sat with them and it's it's different. Mm-hmm. It's really really different. Um, and I, and I imagine like for some of people who have like great grandparents, um, maybe they might remember some moment when it like went from just seeing someone to an actual telephone, um, or it went from you know for many of us like uh, from writing letters to email, yeah, or it went from paging someone to a cell phone <laughs> you know what i mean like like i think it's just this new evolution and i think i'm trying to figure out like what's gonna go back and uh, what's gonna change forever you know because of this uh, but i will say looking someone in the eyes grabbing like someone's shoulders and like giving them a hug like high five like i just miss all of that um being with people yeah and there's no like you can't replace that totally Mm. you know that's what we're created for to be flesh and blood in front of each other and um thank thank goodness you know thank god for 
internet right now and technology and we get to do this stuff. Um, I'm okay. So I'm, I'm doing a funeral tomorrow and, um, it's in a funeral home and you can't have more than 10 people in a room. So there's going to be nine of us in kind of the main room and there's going to be six others in a side room who can't actually see what's going on in the main room. There's going to be sound, uh, piped, piped in. And I was thinking about this and ref reflecting on it. I can't imagine, um, what like well i can because i do go to church but there's the pastor side of it i can't look at my people there's also the people side of it you know like i can't i can't go ha have coffee with my pastor or with steve or whoever you know i can email him or her i but i can't go in for a counseling appointment really with them right now um have people been talking to you about what they miss about when it comes to church worship services whatever it is and all this well let me yeah let me jump into that in a second but i would say also like the person who passes is basically by themselves mm -hmm. these days you know i mean like that the amount of times as a pastor being able to stand bedside you know singing amazing grace or hearing someone um say their last words or even not speak but they're like fluttering their eyelids and, and squeezing your hand they they're there but mm -hmm. not really there mm -hmm. you know to be able to like be with a family as someone enters into the next reality um and i just my heart breaks for the sixty thousand plus people in their families who have not been able to be in a hospital bedside mm -hmm. I'm just like, ah, oh. and, and, you know, one of the strengths of the church has been, you know, God is with you and we want to be with you and we want to walk with you. And that's, it's so hard, you know? And so I think that's been tricky. I, I think that, you know, and, and unfortunately for a lot of churches in the, in the, in the country, uh, people can't get appointments with their, their pastor. Mm -hmm. So this, I think for some people, like, like I've never been able to get a meeting, right. meeting with my pastor. So this is, this isn't any different, but I would say, uh, but there was usually someone there who you could get an appointment. someone there. You're, you're right. You're totally right. You're totally right. Um, I think the thing that I I'm realizing is, um, how much, uh, this is affecting different age groups. And this is a, this is a big generalization, so I apologize, but like differently. Mm -hmm. So like for, for some of my friends who are 65 and over, a lot of this is around health, you know, and loneliness, not seeing their kids and their grandkids, yeah. um, not seeing some of their friends, but really the biggest fear centers around health and they're afraid that they're going to get sick. Some of my friends, 40 through like 65, this is like work and money, like investments, future, security. Um, you know, 20s, a lot of times people are like, like why is everything shut down? Like, I still yeah. want to go to the beach, you know, like, like almost this invincibility. And yet they're having to realize like all of their distractions have been taken away. And now it's like, they're stuck and they're like, what am I doing? You know, so, so it's just all of that. I feel like 
sometimes when I'm having these conversations through the phone or through FaceTime or Zoom, like just seeing, um, and I was on a Zoom call with two people who were 82 hmm. and they couldn't get the, the video thing to work. They hadn't figured it out. We just took like nine minutes trying to, couldn't figure it out. But at the end of the day, like they were on the call just because they're like, I just miss my friends. I just, I feel, we feel alone. And, and I just was like, okay, like how do I just sit and make space for that? You know? So that's been some of the interesting pieces. Um, but there is, I just think that there's, people are feeling this gap and I think it's hard yeah. because we don't know how long it's going to go. Yep. Yeah. The unknown so, is, and then you start to play mind games with it, you know, and I mean, you, I, I, I like your point about, um, I don't, I don't like it, but it's a good point about people being alone when they're passing. And there's so many layers to this because like for me as a hospice chaplain, I have patients who like they're on hospice, they're, they're dying, but they're not dying from COVID and you still can't go see them because they're in facilities. And so like they get a nurse visit every 14 days and that's it. No family. Um, and many of them don't like being there anyway, because their dream wasn't to live in a facility and now like here like in america in a country where we're more connected than ever and we're lonelier than ever it seems like we just added another layer of that um so one of the one of the best pastors i know and he's no longer in the in the a local church he's like really he like works with a number of pastors been married like happily for you know 50 years it feels like he's older guy probably mid 70s uh a number of years ago his wife started having effects of dementia hmm. and um uh, last year they put her in a nurser nursery uh nursing home? It? nursing home nursery i was like that's not it uh nursing like flowers <laughs> yeah it's only so um and right down the street and so every day he'd go over there and then with covid they locked it down and it's like, it's totally like a notebook story and he still just drives and like stands outside her window. Oh. Uh, you know what I mean? You just sit there and you just feel like, um, he can't get in. And he, he, like you said, like you're these, these people at hospice and these family members and they, they might have dementia, they might have cancer, they might have something that's not COVID, but the people can't get in. And you just sit there and you're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So yeah. and it's just that's so sad. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so there's things like physically preaching in front of people, teaching, communicating the, the things that some of the things you're most gifted in. Uh, one have you've lost some of that. Um, you also do a bit of kind of leadership coaching and um, helping churches, organizations, whatever, think through things. How has that changed for you? Um, is it, like you said, is it just a bunch of zoom calls now? And are those conversations as can the same thing happen in those zoom calls that happen when you're face to face with somebody? Um, what's that been like for you? Well, I think the zoom calls, um, are a gift because you can, you know, uh, add a little document here. You can see a dashboard. You can see some, somewhat strategic goals that they're trying to go after, but all of it's changed. Mm -hmm. So, so what's crazy is what people had dreamed up for 2020 
it's all different. And so services moving online, there were some people who were as, um, as prepared as can be for that. And there were some organizations that just weren't. Yeah. So now the, the strategic plans that were set are kind of like pushed to the wayside. And now there's like a tyranny of the urgent. And what's amazing is some people who would be gifted in leadership during peaceful times uh, aren't the ones that are gifted for this kind of unique, mm. unknown, uncertain time. And, and, and now you've got someone who's tech savvy, who's working in junior high ministry, <laughs> who's like literally stepping up because they understand this whole world to serve and help facilitate moving a service online and social media and getting that so that people can actually have their pastor and their worship like really ministers them from their living room. Yeah. So it's, it's what's been fun is kind of going, okay, okay. How nimble is an organization? How healthy is an organization? How good is an organization organization at spotting talent? You know, and, I think, you know, there's these moments where you, you look at even, let's go back to the last dance. One amazing like moment is when Phil Jackson and Tex Winter began to kind of preach the triangle and yeah. Jordan's, Jordan's not buying into the triangle. And let's just be honest. There are a lot of great communicators who are not buying into online church. Hmm. Right. So but there comes a moment where Jordan has to trust a guy like John Paxson. Yeah. Not even close to being on the same level as Jordan. Don't even get me started as him, as like for him as a general manager. But like for him, Jordan had to trust Paxson. And I'm watching these organizations go, and you're struggling to trust that person who's mm. actually, he can hit the shot. Mm. And you're watching some organizations like, call on that person and that person's delivering and it's like it's actually building more connectedness and more trust so in which the old system and the old way of doing it wouldn't have brought out that person's strengths yeah so people are losing stuff but some people man they are rising up yeah. and it's like this adversity is creating an opportunity for some new paxons to hit some amazing shots so which is fun to see in game five of the nba finals Come on now. That was my favorite part. It's game five and Phil Jackson tells the best player in the world, pass the ball. Like this is the yeah. clinching game of the NBA finals, but this guy's open. So get it to him. And Jordan did it. He did it. <laughs> Jordan he, did it. Did it. he did it. Oh man. By the way, the other part, my favorite part was um, of this last weekend when Phil Jackson says, when you pass the ball in the triangle, there's 33 different options that creates. And 100%. that almost, and, and like this to your point here, this is going to create some different options for people. Um, and I think we're just now starting to see what those, what those might be. It doesn't mean we want to be in this situation, but um, yep. true to this whole series is it means God can still bring something good out of this. Uh, okay. So part of, and by the way, I'll just, I'll just say this about you. Part of the online thing is whenever you can make it still as personal as possible. So for instance, you this last weekend preached at my church via online and there's this moment when you're in your office and you just take your camera and turn it around and walk in or you're you're in your house and you 
just walk into your office and show it to us. Um, and there's like a comment section on the side. And so you start to see all these comments. Thank you for being real. Thank you for being personal. I mean, that's what people are hungry for, whether wow. you're teaching on a stage or whether you're teaching um, on, a, on a camera. And, and you and many others are doing a fantastic job of, of that, of keeping it really, really just the personal level of whether it's we're all in this together or, um, hey, my office is messy also. <laughs> Uh, great. Okay. One more question and then we'll move to the second part of this. Um, one of the things you and I have talked about for probably 16 years now is integrity and the importance of integrity. Um, in the midst of, in a season where so where, where you're losing, and I don't just mean you, I mean all of us. One of the things I've said is every, we're all losing something, you know, whatever it is, we're all losing something and probably multiple things for you. How do you keep your integrity um, in the midst of loss? In the midst of uncertainty? In the midst of change? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess for me, I think about at the core of the core, everyone has to ask themselves the question, who am I? Mm. right so someone's gonna find this and you know for you know since we first met you know in junior high ministry you know we, we'd always talk about identity you know and you can't answer the who am i question until you understand who is god mm. and if you've got a proper understanding of who you are in the kingdom of god like who you are in god's eyes then I think that you are going to live with intentionality and integrity from who you truly are and how you truly view yourself. Now, I'm not saying that if your identity is in winning or your, in, your identity is in looking like you're perfect, you're going to live with intentionality and integrity towards whatever you think and whatever you find your identity in, whatever that's like rooted in like getting like energy from. Mm -hmm. And so I think in the midst of this, yeah, we're, we're losing something, but like I'm not losing who I am. Yeah. I'm not losing like why I'm here. I'm not, I'm not, I might be losing money. I might be losing opportunity. No, nothing's taking away uh, who I am. I truly am like, I, I know who I am. I'm a yeah. teacher. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I talk sports. I, you know, like I, I know who I am. And so I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a friend. Like I know who God has gifted me and made me to be and, and the power of grace and peace in my life. Like, so, so for me, circumstances I've lost, but I think there came a point in my life where I just learned that and I made the conscious choice to not let my circumstances dictate how I act, think, or feel about God or about myself. Now, there are moments where I can feel the stirring of uneasiness, like, yeah. I don't know, but I, I choose, do I allow that train to leave the station and start to go down like, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it. No, 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 no. I, I get back to trusting the process, <laughs> like trusting my preparation, trusting my calling, trusting my God, like, and it, it, it's not failed me. Yeah. And so, so I, I think for me, that's just kind of 
kind of it. I feel like the integrity is when you live in congruence and alignment with who you view yourself to truly be. And so child of God, yeah. like disciple, like uh, broken and beautiful, <laughs> like uh, a person in dire need of grace and peace and somebody who's profoundly gifted as you are, as everyone who's tuning in is like, that's all true. So, um, so I think that's for me in it. Um, and again, there's been days that have been harder. Um, there's days where there's parts like my office, that's a mess that I haven't gotten to, but I'm learning. To keep um, leading and loving and supporting um, my family and those around me. Awesome. Thank you. Good stuff. I like, I like the, reminds me once your decisions and actions start being based on things that are changing instead of things that, that don't change and won't change, you're going to get into some trouble. So that's yeah. good. Can, can I like this, like, this is such an important topic right now because again, like I can get on Instagram right now and there's this whole new, like probably in the last couple of years, I feel like it's, it, it was branded, uh, curated imperfection. Hmm. So it's like, it's like people who are like posing so beautifully and like something's like a mess behind them. And, yeah. and I'm like, you've like curated a shot that now you are like publicly putting out into the world. Like, but it's all been curated. It's not like your real life. Like it is a set. It is a prop. And I, I think like, again, what's the motivation, right? Like, uh, and so I just keep thinking like when it comes to integrity, um, and this is why I loved you. This is why like, you know, Signature's Coffee, you and I would sit. <laughs> and this is why like for all these people who, who are listening and who have followed you, um, if they saw me with you they, and they knew me, they would know that the first thing I would say to you um, within the first paragraph at least was, what's up, Captain America? Because you, you've always been someone who has said what they meant and meant what they said. Mm -hmm. And that, that alignment, unfortunately, is few and far between. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there gets to a moment where people's success kind of outpaces their character or people start microwaving and cutting corners when it comes to formation of their soul and their grief and their pain and their stress and their worry. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't have time to deal with this because it's going to slow this down. And unfortunately, because they don't deal with the character pieces, all of a sudden they're a train wreck. And it doesn't just affect them, it affects all those around them. And so for, for me, like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't recommend you to step into the teaching role for the junior high pastor just because you were dating and married to Corey. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't, it, that, didn't, that, that didn't cross my mind. What crossed my mind was who was going to be the best example for those students to go, I want to, I want to like, who could like say what Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like who had that kind of like chutzpah, 
And I feel like I wanted a seventh grader to go, I want to follow Christ like Matt Boyle does. And that's, that's who you've been, bro. That's, and so again, that's not, that's not always the case, mm-hmm. but I think you, you've done work, right? You've, you've like, you've hit the gym, you've hit the, like the spiritual muscles and the fruit of the spirit and cultivated the right things. And that for me, um, I think is, is also the gift of COVID because a lot of people like are going so quickly that they could have never stopped on their own. But now that the whole world, rich and poor, every country and county is now on lockdown and all of those distractions are no longer feasible in the same way. Now they're forced with an opportunity. I'm either going to debate the weight, I'm going to hate the weight, or I'm going to cultivate within the weight. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's what I'm hoping that people on the other side come out stronger in their character, stronger in their trust, stronger in their faith, um, because they cultivated and didn't just debate and hate um, the wilderness and the desert and the waiting. Yeah. yeah. Don't waste the weight. Was that the line from the podcast? Was that Sam? Don't waste the Nacho? weight. Yeah. Um, good. Well, thank you. Okay. That, that's a good transition. So the second part, um, in the midst of all of this, people are dying alone. People are losing income. We can't give each other a hug right <laughs> right now. Um, how have you seen God in the midst of all this? Whether it's from like a Steve Carter level, like my life, or you have your hands in all sorts of, of different communities and you see all sorts of different things across the country. Um, how have you seen God working in the midst of all this? Some of this we've already touched on. And, and, and one of the things you just you just did, which is kind of being forced to wait. But what have you seen God up to? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been some really, really beautiful stories. You know, um, there's a church out here in Arizona, Mission Church, and um, they started this, this kind of out of the blue, like helper network. And it's a, an acronym and um, H-E-L-P-R. Um, I think dot com or something you can look it up, but um, just watching like a whole community find ways to serve their city, and then like the mayor, who's not even a believer, ended up saying like, "This is so amazing. Can you can we like represent this for the whole city?" Mm. And then it just it just started to spread, and it was just a random idea, you know, um, or, or or it's just kind of like the ways in which neighbors have had to become actually neighbors yeah. to one another in a new way. And, you know, people in our neighborhood, um, my wife did this early on, was just like finding ways to get toilet paper to people. I mean, just, there's just all these different connections and the next door app, which is um, both comical and scary and beautiful. Uh, if anybody's a next door app fan, um, but it's, it's, you're, you're just seeing this, you know? And, but I think, I think that there has been a, a sense of slowing down and I think people are really having to reevaluate and I was talking with a mentor recently and he was telling me that the city he lives in LA and he was talking about how um, the these fashion um, 
retail high-end places like had basically shut down and they had boarded up all their windows and, and nobody was like on these streets that everybody would go to to shop that had money. And now it's like, nobody's there. And he's just walking by himself and he's like, nobody's here. No cars are here. And my first response to him was like, that feels apocalyptic. Yeah. Like it feels like crazy. Like, oh my goodness. And he just said, you know, it's amazing because that word literally means like to reveal. And he just like went on this whole riff about how this season I think is like revealing in people um, the ways in which their life had just kind of drifted mm. um, and revealing things that they had found their identity in. And they had uh, they revealing just um, all the places that they were getting unhelpful and unhealthy energy from. And so I think that this is a really great revelation of where people put their trust. In the ancient yeah. text, you know, some people trust in chariots and some people trust in horses, but I'm going to trust in God. Really easy to sing, really easy to say. Um, but then all of a sudden when you begin to get front and center with, oh man, I put my trust in the stock market. Mm-hmm. I put my trust in the government. I put my trust in the health system. I put, my, I put my trust in like anytime I went to the local grocery store, it would have what I needed. I put yeah. my trust in my job. I put my trust. I put my trust in all of a sudden we're being, you know, confronted with that in both a beautiful and holy and kind of the parts of us that are a little bit broken, um, kind of wet. Yeah. And I, th- I think like you hear some people say, I don't, I don't have faith in anything. Well, yeah, you do. It's just a matter of, what's your faith in? And I think one of, to your point, one of the things people are realizing now is what their faith is actually in and what it's not in. Yes. Um, and I would say too, like for me, one of the great things has been people who I've never really heard it talk about God, spirituality, whatever. A lot of them are now doing it because it's like, I don't know where else to turn. Um, have you experienced that with, with people who you maybe never had a conversation about faith with or God or spirituality and maybe thought never would. And now it's like, Oh wait, you're open to talking about this. Yeah. It's been really wild because even if I like open up my phone and go through like some of my text messages that have come in or, I mean, there's been, there's been like a handful of people who have just been like, Hey, can we talk? I'm just, this whole season's making me ask, some questions about life and faith, you yeah. know, and, and, it, and it's really got me think, you know, when, when God in the Hebrew scriptures, the old, what we know is the old Testament names Jacob and gives him a new name. He gives him the name Israel, which means to struggle with God and to struggle with people. Um, and I think that there's something that happens in the struggle, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's, there's some kind of, when we have to wrestle, when we have to wrestle with doubt, when we have to wrestle with anxiety, we have to wrestle with uncertainty. And, and again, every day is uncertain, Matt. Every day is unexpected. Every day is unsure. Every day is unprecedented. Every day is unknown. All of the unwords that CNN and Fox and the news want to use, every day is that. <laughs> yeah. Now we're just being confronted with that because all of our distractions are gone but we're forced to have to wrestle because we've tried so hard to push out 
the thought that we are going to die. Like nobody ever wants to think about that, Mm -hmm. that we are fragile. Nobody wants to think about that, that we are not in control. Nobody wants to. And so now you're confronted with these existential and ethereal ideas and you're going, uh, my like iPhone, uh, two can't handle the, the updates that are coming in and I either got to like install a new, an entirely new system or I'm like chucking the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately some people are chucking it, but some people are like wrestling with there's more here mm-hmm. and I don't like what it's doing in me. And I just feel like there's more. And then unfortunately you're watching other people like this is, this is the, this is the tragic stuff. I've had a couple people reach out because this season of slowing down has, has really brought up a lot of delayed grief mm-hmm. <laughs> and trauma and re-trauma. And so, I mean, well said. Some, of the, some of the emails that I've gotten, Matt, like, um, and, you know, my wife sees these. And, um, but, like, someone experienced, like, someone talking about rape for mm-hmm. the first time. Um, you know, CVS has a code word at their pharmacy. So if a woman has been experiencing domestic abuse because nobody's leaving the house, mm-hmm. that she can like say like, so again, this is bringing out some of the best in humanity and the best questions, but it's also bringing out moments of deep sadness, deep pain. And when it comes to domestic violence, the worst in people. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like a spin cycle of all the fields right now. Yeah. And, and it's, you, you touched on this, it's an education too, because one of the things I started to realize when I started to officiate funerals, and I certainly realized when I started to be a hospice chaplain was we haven't been taught to deal with or think about death very well or to talk about it. So it's always been, that's an exaggeration, but a lot of times in my experience, it's been, we ignore it. We don't talk about it. And so either like a funeral, it's, um, you know, it's utter grief. There's no hope. Um, and it's all over or it's the opposite, which is just as dangerous. It's straight celebration because this person's now with Jesus. Um, both of which are equally dangerous, I I think. And there's gotta, like, I tell people the best funerals are where people laugh and cry. You gotta have, you gotta have the mixture of it. And this, I think is the, is a worldwide, like, oh, we don't deal with death. Like some of us still don't want to believe this is happening. <laughs> yeah. 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 And some of us think the world is ending, you know? Um, and so I, I, among other things, I think this is a teacher of life and I think people like you are able to not just in one-on-one conversation, but communal conversations, help people navigate that. And I think you're really, really good at it. So um, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks bro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Ready for the final question? For sure. All right. It's the final. (laughs) Um, you and my kids just came in the door a couple minutes ago and Parker just starts waving at you in the camera and you're waving back to him as, as you're talking. So I thought of this, you were, it's January 1st, 2020. Your whole family's in town. 
in Colorado, in Loveland, Fort Collins, Colorado, and your family uh, comes over to our house to hang out, um, eat together, talk, watch Michigan lose to Alabama. Sorry about about that. Watch your mouth. Speaking, watch of, your mouth. speaking of a man of integrity, you were still Steve Carter in the midst of all of that. So I was I was proud of you. Um, there's this. There's two moments that stand out to me in, in that afternoon. Um, one was there's this moment where you and I are sitting on one of my couches, Corey's sitting on the other couch and then, and then Sarah, your wife is sitting on the floor and we're just talking about the last two years of our lives. And the four of us probably hadn't been in the same room, like talking by ourselves. If it wasn't like a church function, 15 years, maybe, I don't know. Um, and there was this moment of like, honesty and reflection and support. And, um, I've talked to you for the last couple of years about, about things. Um, but I, I haven't talked to your wife about it and it was just like a gift to be able to do that. And it's like, Oh, this is like, this is friendship community, whatever. The word I would use there is like, I was content. The other one was about two seconds after you walk in. Um, so you and I like sports, three on the Enneagram achiever. Let's get things done. Where's the checklist. And we've both been given two of the most gentle, sweet daughters like in the world. And so about two minutes later and our daughters had never met, they go upstairs and just play together for hours <laughs> and just watching them. And um, like after um, you got, you all left and we were actually going bowling that night. And Ilea's first question is, well, is mercy going? Cause if so, I'll go. If not, I'm not going. Um, there were moments of just, ah, this is like, in Paul's words, I know what it is to have plenty. You know, this is, this is like where it's at. Um, if this moment could last a long time, that would be awesome. So Paul in Philippians 4 says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So Paul's like, I, I know I've learned through my life and circumstances what it is. And by the way, the word content, it means to, to, to be peaceful, to be satisfied, um, no matter what's going on. So, hey, I know what it is to be at peace when um, I'm sitting in the living room with good friends just talking about life. And I know what it is to be at peace when I can't leave my house because people are dying of COVID-19. Um, and all of it, I can be satisfied, content. For, for you, how are you learning to be content in whatever the circumstance, including right now when things are a bit um, turned upside down? It's a great question. Um, I also remember about that day is that Michigan loses to Alabama and then you absolutely destroy me in bowling. <laughs> so I remember those two <laughs> things. Um, um, have not forgot that. Um, I don't think but, we technically finished the game. That's true. I think, I think I time ran out like, <laughs> yeah, time, time, time like the eighth frame yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. So think about that. Like Paul's in prison and he says those words, but he also says in chapter one that even though he's in chains, the gospel is advancing. Mm -hmm. Like goodness and the good news is advancing. So the word advance in Greek is the word proskope. And it's a military term, like we're taking ground. It's, it's you know, you think about like a, a great offense moving down the field. 
Um, both the Bears and the Broncos know nothing of this. But <laughs> um, you would think that Paul would say, I'm in chains, and the gospel is hindered. And hindered is the word prokope. So remove the S. Yeah. And I just imagine being this, this church receiving this letter, and he's like, and they're all going, dude, our leader, the founder of this church, he's in chains. The movement's come to an end. And now he's like saying it's advancing. And then a few chapters later, he's like, and I'm, and I'm content. I'm mm-hmm. content. And I think the, the, the sense of peace is all connected to his purpose and a greater mission. Mm-hmm. And I think in his mind, he was like, if I can get this guard to understand what grace and peace is, then maybe someday I can get to my ultimate goal, which is face-to-face with Caesar and tell him. Yeah. And I think in, in his mind going, I'm in this situation, but again, I'm not going to let a circumstance dictate how I act, think, or feel about God or myself. I'm going to still look for moments and opportunities for goodness and good news to win. Yeah, so I think... To use your term earlier, back to identity. Exactly, exactly. So I think in this situation, uh, what's different? My rhythm. What's different? My routine. I can't go to the gym. It's closed down. Uh, so things have, things have had to shift and pivot. But like, it's not anything about me, mm-hmm. right? I still know who I am. So I, I, I think what I've come to realize is, gosh, if you have a higher set of values that really guide and orchestrate your life, then I think you go, yeah, like I know how to like exhale even in the chaos. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, it, that you try to act like the chaos isn't there. Right. Um, my dad used to pull me aside, you know, as a high school senior and we're down in the second half and he just kind of whisper in my ear, change adversity into opportunity. Mm. And it was this axiom. He'd always say, you're always going to face adversity, but are you going to see it as an opportunity to rise up and rise above or um, to go low, you know, and, and go to, <laughs> and just kind of play down. And, and, and I've just realized, um, it's a great mathematical formula, leadership axiom equals R equals O, events plus response equals outcome. We don't control the events. We only control our response. And how we choose to respond will create the outcome. Yeah. And so, again, Paul is mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally saying, I can't control the fact that I'm in prison. I can't control that I'm in chains, but I can control my response. And my response is peace. My response is goodness. My response is to see a greater purpose. And uh, that's going to change the outcome. It's going to change the, the outcome mentally. It's going to change the outcome spiritually. It's going to change the outcome physically. It's going to change the outcome emotionally. And I think that is available to each of us. But it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard. It's hard when you're on a Zoom call like I was yesterday with a whole bunch of high schoolers and their prom, their senior prom was canceled. Mm-hmm. Or one high school basketball player who was insanely gifted and was like, season canceled going into the sectionals or another athlete who told me this was going to be the year that he had been training for that he was going to get recruited for baseball and hopefully make like the draft and now lost so how do i respond to that yeah and i just said 
I said, hey, everyone else is playing Fortnite right now. What can you do? And I was walking my dog the other day, and I saw these three uh, young guys. One's probably 10th grade. One's probably junior. One's probably in college. And I just saw them running wide receiver routes. And, they, and it was just they were running. And they were just like in, in this park by themselves. And they're like, no one's really throwing, but they're just practicing. And I just looked at them, and it, it fired me up, Matt. It would fire you up just because we're wired the same. But I looked at them. And I said, way to go, fellas. And they looked at me, and I said, hey, hey, just want you to know, practice is never canceled. It's so a way to go to be out here because you're making yourself stronger in spite of this. And while there's other, other people are playing Fortnite, you're getting work in and you will be better because of it. And I just think, again, that's yeah. part of not wasting the weight. And yeah. that's what Paul did. I'm in prison. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to be peaceful and I'm going to choose to see a good advance, even in spite of my circumstances. Yeah, that's good. One more, one more last dance reference. That's like Rodman minus like the Vegas vacation, but going to the gym to work out after a game because he, he wants to get more work, more working. Yes. Yes. I mean, dude, every time you see that, like Jalen hurts, you know, when he's in Oklahoma and they, and someone captures a shot of him after a football game at Oklahoma back in the weight room. And it's just like, you can't teach that. Like that is, that is a gear that is built for greatness. And like, you can't, and, and again, it's the stuff that nobody sees. Mm-hmm. And again, this is, this is when it comes to communication, when it comes to business, when it comes to um, dating and marriage, when it comes to being like uh, a father or a mother, we're so focused on the positive or the negative outcomes. But honestly, none of that matters. That's all a result of what happened when nobody else was seeing, what nobody else sees in the gym. Your preparation when you write a message, Matt, and I know you are so gifted and so hardworking, but nobody sees that. They just see the, the finished product. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, dating our wives, pursuing our kids. People see the outcomes, they don't see the day to day, minute by minute. And the thing I've been thinking a lot about is I have a lot of my friends right now who they're, they're not choosing contentment. I think they're choosing escape Mm. and it, and it looks in the form of, uh, I don't know if you've seen this like online, but it's like, I just need some more red wine tonight. Mm -hmm. You know, like been a hard day. And I think in some ways it has been hard. It has been hard. We should, we should go to bed tired because we're pursuing our kids and pursuing our careers and pursuing like our spouses. Like we, we should go to bed. Like we just worked out muscles that we've never worked out, but it doesn't mean we're entitled to like lose ourselves in escape. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and again, I'm not against like making a Moscow mule. Like I have, <laughs> but I, I don't like, I think it's a difference in escaping um, and feeling entitled to choosing contentment and good news, advancing and pursuing the right things based on who I believe he is and who I am. Yeah. And I think, I mean, alcohol or whatever, I think, I think that's a difference. And, and this goes back to some of the integrity stuff. I mean, um, the difference between, is it appreciation and like actual enjoyment or is it needing on some level, you know, bingo. Um, 
Yeah. So, okay. So another question here um, before we wrap up, you, you talked about pursuing kids and you, um, the only other person I've interviewed so far for the series who has young kids is a doctor um, who hasn't lived with his family in a month because he's exposed every single day. And so she actually moved um, with her parents down near like Boulder. Um, but for you, you are in the same house with your kids. And there's, there's a lot of folks who listen to this who have young kids. What's one way you are using this, we'll call it opportunity, to pursue your son and your daughter? The big word for me has been Let's add your wife to that too. Add your wife yeah. to that. The big word for me for my kids has been participation. Okay. So, you know, we, we've often talked about this, Matt. How do we partner with what Jesus is already up to in Loveland, in Northern Colorado, in Phoenix area? Not like we're bringing Christ. He's already there. Yeah. So how are we yeah. joining? So our kids are already in our homes. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really good at getting my kids to join what I want to do. <laughs> like, come watch <laughs> The Last Dance. Come, come with me to the store. Like, come, let, let's come run some routes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, like I have, I have, I'm really good at having them participate in what I want to do. Which could very, which sorry could very easily lead to you hanging out with a child who's more like you more than totally, <laughs> totally, and I I have pushed myself for better and for worse into trying to participate in things that they like to do that if I'm really honest I don't like to do and I'm not good at. And so um, I asked my son, I was like, man, Emerson, he's 12. Dude, what would be, what would be a way I could participate with you uh, tomorrow? And he's like, well, my, my buds are uh, going to be on Fortnite. Do you want to, do you want to play? And I'm like, uh, of course, if that's what you want me to do. Yeah. Matt, I, I, I like to win. I like to <laughs> achieve. Dude, I was like getting I was getting wrecked by sixth graders from all over the, like from Illinois and Arizona. And they were like, get Mr. Carter. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm like, this isn't fun. Like I'm dying. <laughs> Competition side is hot. And my son is dying laughing. And I realized like, I'm usually the strongest or the best. And now I'm the weakest link. And now I'm like, Emerson, I'm following you. You got to lead me. And like, we got to win this battle royale. And, and then like Travis Scott ends up joining. I don't know if you saw this. He like comes out and like the Cactus Jacks, New Jordans. They do a whole concert on Fortnite with Travis Scott. And, Emerson, uh, and Emerson's like, dad, you want to join our friends and do this? And I was like, yeah. And I joined this like Travis Scott concert that's happening in Fortnite. And I was like, I'm just there. And and I'm following my son and he's yeah. guiding me and I'm just learning to participate with him and like give some thoughts and coaching along the way. But for the most part, like I'm just seeing life through his eyes just reminded me like, that's what Jesus did along the way. Mm. Um, and I think, I think like Sarah and I were trying to figure it out. We've, we've made um, a couple of commitments during this time. And one of them is that we're going to be kind to ourselves 
Like this is just and kind to each other. Um, because wait, wait say that again. You're going to be kind I'm, to I'm, and kind to each other. Okay, cool. In the sense of, and and I and I define kindness as the restraint mm-hmm. of how I think you should act mm-hmm. or what I think you should be or do. Like I'm restraining all that and choosing to walk alongside you. And so that's what we talk about. Like, man, I'm going to restrain all the self judgment, all the self like kind of. I need you to be this or that. And, and so we've, we've really decided that in two every day, our kids are old enough, which is great that we can leave them at home for 45 minutes, do their schoolwork and we can go for a walk. And the walk has been just us talking, connecting, like we've just needed that. And, um, because you, that's been the hardest part is fighting for that oneness yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I'm still trying to figure out, like, we, we were pretty good with date nights. I'm trying to figure that out, um, what that looks like. And, and um, but it's, it's, it's been different, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the participation. Uh, that, that is going to resonate with a lot of people. I like that a lot. Um, and even res- the idea of restraining the thought of what the other person should do or who they should be. Um, when it comes to spouse, significant other, whatever, whatever it is. So man, Steve Carter, thank you. It's been such thank a you, joy. Thank you, Matthew Boyle. Such a joy to have you with us. Um, we respect you. We love you. Thank you for what you do. Keep up the good work. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been what's true for everybody. Experience number 63, seeing God in a pandemic with Pastor Steve Carter. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay content. And we'll see you next time. Much love.